Hey y'all, welcome into Birdwatch end of March episode. You didn't have anything from us last week because we didn't want to remind you that you can't go out and do anything, but we are back. My name is Jeff Nowak. I'm NOAA.com's digital producer. Christian Clark could not make it in today. He's busy social distancing himself from his microphones. But I'm joined by a great guest. He worked for the Bergen Record up in New Jersey for 34 years, from 1983 to 2017. During that time, he was worked as a traveling beat writer for the Brooklyn, I'm sorry, then New Jersey Nets for eight years, from 1992 to 2000. He was chosen as a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize in 2008, along with Jeff Pillitz, for an investigation into the failed Meadowlands NCAP project. And since 2017, he's been working as a senior analyst covering the expansion of legal sports betting in the U.S., and he co-hosts the Gamble On podcast weekly with Eric Raskin. Uh, welcome, John Brennan, the non-CIA version of John Brennan. How you doing, John? Uh, pretty good, yeah. That occasionally on Twitter, somebody uh, goes into a rant on politics about the the other John Brennan, the national security guy, and uh, I have to explain I'm not that guy. He's from Jersey too. I mean, everybody's from Jersey. That's of any consequence, aren't they? But yeah, we're not. I'm not him. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I was trying to come up with your bio, and it gave me a little bit, yeah. <laughs> threw me for a bit of a loop because I was like, this isn't the right guy. But hey, we we figured it all out in the end. So you're based in New Jersey, obviously, and uh, as much as I hate to have to talk about it for the 17,000th time, uh, coronavirus, COVID-19 has impacted basically every facet of life across the United States. How has it, uh, how has it been up, up your way? Well, I can tell you that, you know, being in northern New Jersey, only about 20 miles from New York City, and and you being in New Orleans, uh, we have a better understanding of the actual situation than a lot of people around the country who are still kind of behind the curve and they don't get it. Um, so uh, it's unfortunate that we uh, are on uh, such a, a similar path, but uh, we I, I understand what you guys are going through and, and you understand what we're going through up here. Have you, how have you been dealing with isolation well, I, I've been working at home for the last two years, so I have a big edge on almost everybody I know because they're like going crazy and I don't have kids at home either. That doesn't hurt. So uh, between those two, uh, yeah, it's OK. Um, I have some uh, local parks nearby that um, on a nice day I'll go out and uh, uh, the social distancing here is phenomenal. I got to tell you, I mean, uh, New Jerseyans are so rebellious that I kind of worried that, you know, they would be like, uh, I don't listen to anything. I'm, you know, I do what I want. But everybody gets it. Uh, frankly, not to be too serious, but I, th I think some of it is a 9-11 echo from 20, almost 20 years ago. We experienced that too. So like this idea that, you know, uh, terrible things will never happen to me or it's not that big a deal. Like, you know, we've been through these things before. And so um, uh, we we're doing pretty well with social distancing now. I don't see anybody in any stores on the rare occasion I go to them, that is uh, kind of violating the protocols. Uh, people here get it. And I know New Orleans was a little behind the curve, but I suspect you guys are, are up to speed now as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I have the same similar situation where I do most of my work from home to begin with. The biggest change for me is I haven't had to shave my beard in a while. So I'm starting to get that like, you know, last last podcast, I called it the uh, Robin Williams when he comes out in Jumanji before he shaves, you know, what year is it kind of thing. But now I'm thinking I'm getting more toward the Forrest Gump runs across America type beard. So yeah, I, actually, uh, I, I have the NHL playoff beard going myself. <laughs> right, right. You're right. sparing your <laughs> listeners. But uh, yeah, about 15 years ago, I had like the Brett Favre late career salt and pepper thing, which was actually pretty good. And now it's like almost all uh, salt. Yeah. So <laughs> so I don't have much gray hair on my head. And then my beard, it's just, it's hideous. So uh, yeah, but no one sees it. So it's not the big a deal. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, so... 
New Orleans is kind of interesting in the sense that I think it was tough because when all of this started happening and we had to kind of make a decision on, okay, how much social distancing do we have to do was right when Mardi Gras hit. And, you know, there was some criticism of the mayor of like, oh, why didn't you cancel Mardi Gras? And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where if she got up at that point and said, we're canceling Mardi Gras, whether it was the right decision or not, the people would have rioted. There would not have been a simple like, oh, she's right. We can't do these parades. It would have been the, like an exercise in, in uh, rebellion. And the, the criticism isn't really fair in the sense that no one federally was taking it seriously. So why would New Orleans just suddenly say, oh, okay, we're done. But, you know, we're long past that point now. All the restaurants and the bars have been closed for weeks, uh, which has been brutal for a lot of people. You know, every business is hurting. Obviously, you cover sports betting. You know, I, I can't imagine that business is doing very well when there's no sports to bet on. Or are there sports to bet on? <laughs> uh, well, there sort of are. But I'll tell you, to relate yeah. to the Mardi Gras thing, uh, I was there in 1984, and uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. But uh, that was a good time. Um, but, no, we had the St. Patrick's Day Parade March 17th in New York City, which I've been to dozens of times. And that was the same sort of sensibility of you can't cancel that parade. So, obviously, Mardi Gras was weeks earlier. But um, even on March 16th, uh, New York City, the mayor was sort of trying to resist, like, I can't cancel the St. Patrick's Day Parade. It's just, it's a huge event. It's only a one-day event. It's a huge event. And thank God the night before, they shut down all restaurants and bars. So uh, St. Patrick's Day did not have what would have been hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in Manhattan, you know, completely gathering around. I mean, uh, so it was late. But, uh, no, I appreciate the the sensibility for, for the mayor of New Orleans had as the New York City mayor, too. It's very difficult. But as far as uh, sports betting goes, yeah, it's been interesting. Um, I cover the industry. I'm not a big gambler myself, frankly, but um, but I cover it. And um, there are a lot of gamblers who they want to bet on something no matter what. So no NBA, no NHL, no MLS. You know, what do they do? So um, it, it's, it's varied by state. But in New Jersey, like 10 days ago, Australian rules football and Australian rugby were still going. And those were the leading bet on sports. Uh, but Pennsylvania is allowing betting in game on table tennis, if you can believe it, or ping pong before they got a marketing executive to relabel it um, in Russia and the Ukraine. And that is driving Pennsylvania's uh, sports betting revenues now. Uh, New Jersey is almost always the pioneer in everything gambling, really, outside of Nevada, which is kind of its own entity. Um, but New Jersey has been reluctant to to allow table tennis betting. So now they allow it pre-game or pre-match, whatever they call it. But that's not going to be very popular. So um, state regulators are struggling to figure out what to allow. Um, I can tell you Belarus soccer is very popular among sports bettors around the country now in the 15 or 16 states that have it. Um, Belarus hockey is in its finals now, and um, people are betting on that. Um, horse racing is limited. You know, Aqueduct Racetrack was still going up until about 10 days ago, and they had huge handles or the betting volume because people who wanted to bet on horse, harness racing somewhere else would settle for betting uh, at, uh, there uh, or thoroughbred in that case. But um, so it's been uh, a challenge, but state regulators are looking for to provide a product for people to bet on. And one other thing about that is that online poker is seeing a resurgence because um, uh, people who don't want to go so far afield for these silly sports are thinking, well, I used to play some poker. I like that. My state, now only four states have it legal yet. That's New Jersey and Pennsylvania and Delaware and Nevada. But in the, in that marketplace, um, they're doing that. And other states are looking to legalize perhaps online poker um, because uh, it's something that, it, that people can do, obviously online. There's no 
issue with coronavirus and, and playing online poker. Yeah, the interesting thing I've seen uh, from a few places is they're actually do live dealers now where mm-hmm. you're not, you're not because I think that was one of the big criticisms with online poker is like, how do you know that this computer algorithm isn't messing with you? Uh, whereas like they'll actually have a camera. And I saw this at Harrah's when I walked through recently is they had, you know, there was a dealer who was just standing there in front of a camera and just playing out blackjack hands. And, you know, <laughs> people were actually online playing those hands as he dealt the real cards. You know, I think that's one of those uh, social distancing hacks where you're playing a game with a bunch of people without actually being there. Um, well, meanwhile, I, I got to say one thing. I, I know a bunch of uh, professional poker players, and this is something that still astonishes me, and, and I think it would most people. Now, obviously, you see the movies where the expert poker player, they call them tells. So you're an amateur, and you've got aces down, and you're trying to look you know, nonchalant, and the pro is looking at you rubbing your nose or you're brushing your hair or whatever you're doing, and he knows he's got the cards, or he's bluffing. He, they know they can read you like a book, and that's, that's, an, that's understood. That's sort of a, a reading social cues, right? But those those same players can do that online without even seeing you. They 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 recognize your screen name, and then after they played in games with you a few times, they remember uh, what your style is. And if you if you say go all in too quickly, they know you're bluffing. They can't even see you, and they know that. Or if you take too long and then you go half in, they know. Wow, they're trying to play downplay the great hand they have, and I'm folding. That's to me. That's amazing that you could have that skill of reading people's social cues uh, in, in uh, interpersonally. I get that, but that you can read people uh, without even seeing them online. That's that's an amazing skill. Right, but then there's also that issue where you, you think you're reading someone because they took a while to you know to <laughs> up their bed and they really just got up to refill the bowl of Cheetos. So, <laughs> exactly. You know, you got to be careful. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, so I recently I talked to uh, Cal Spears, who's the CEO of Better Collective, which includes mm-hmm. you know daily fantasy sites, uh, I think Roto Grinders, uh, and Brett Smiley with Sports Handle, and we talked a lot about you know how this has affected daily fantasy specifically, which has kind of grown into its own animal along with you know fantasy football. And uh, one of the things I thought that they said that was interesting was, you know, they sat down when when it was pretty clear that, you know, the, the night that the NBA got suspended, which I believe was March 11th, because that was yep. my birthday. Yep. <laughs> it actually happened during my birthday dinner, which was kind of a weird, a weird moment. Mm. Um, and they said that they they just paused all subscription fees because they have subscriptions where they, you know, send out uh, advice, DFS advice and picks and stuff like that. And uh, I thought that was interesting because, you know, they're they're actively foregoing revenue because they don't have anything to give people. And I think part of that is, you know, people start canceling these subscriptions if they're paying for something and there's really nothing for the, no reason. And then you probably don't get them back. I thought that was interesting. And the other thing they said is a lot of people have turned to esports um, because they do DFS for League of Legends, which I didn't realize was a thing. Um, and they said that's they, they do these tournaments and they're about 10 times higher than they had been. So I thought that was interesting because I think a lot of people are just looking for some way to pass the time, even more than like the amount of money you're putting into it or what you, whether you win or not. It's just that that mental engagement with something that's outside of your control, <laughs> which I yeah, think. Exactly. Well, yeah, uh, Cal and Brett are part of my team. Uh, yeah, we had a big get together um, Super Bowl weekend in Nashville um, uh, with the with the various segments of our company. And um, yeah, so on the DFS side, it, it's it's one extreme. Um, my sector basically is covering the news of legal regulated gambling in the U.S. and its expansion. So I have been busier the last two weeks than I 
almost I've ever been because there's so much news to report about, you know, what what's shutting down, what alternatives there are. Yes, esports is uh, something that, uh, again, state regulators state by state are trying to figure out what do we legalize, what do we not? And uh, they're going through that because uh, and you're right, it's not just uh, obviously compulsive gambling is, is an issue which we address, but there's also a lot of casual players. Yes, you just, they might put two dollars or three dollars down on whatever, but it, it, it keeps them engaged, gets their mind off what's going on, which is a good thing. It's a little bit of a safety valve. And so uh, they're going to find something. And uh, uh, esports is probably going to not only get a boost now, but I think some of that will continue. People mainly focus on the NFL if and when that comes back or college football. But I think once they dip their toe into esports a little bit, uh, especially among millennials, I, I think they may continue to, to kind of pursue that as part of their overall portfolio. Yeah, they also mentioned there's a lot of futures betting going on. You know, it looks like the draft is going to happen. So that'll probably be a, a little boon for that industry, even if, this, you know, NBA hasn't come back. Um, just in terms of, you know, a lot of people like to bet on, you know, who's the number one overall pick. That line will probably just come down because it's probably not the, <laughs> it's probably not worth listing. But, you know, beyond that, it's going to be kind of interesting. Um, you wrote recently about how, you know, your expectations in terms of how you think you think the NBA is going to finish out its season. I, I think there's a lot of different, you know, trains of thought on that. But I think, you know, revenue-wise, there's a lot of interesting arguments to be made. What Can you kind of just distill, you know, what your thoughts are there? Do you think there's going to be the final 18 or so games of the regular season? Do you think it's just going to be playoffs? Do you think, you know, what, what's your what's your take? Well, yeah, I originally wrote about this several years ago because I, I covered the NBA long enough. I kind of – I think I understand Adam Silver. And remember about five or six years ago – early in the New Jersey sports betting saga, while the NBA was still suing to prevent New Jersey from having sports betting or any other state outside of Nevada, uh, Adam Silver came out with a big uh, op-ed piece in the New York Times saying, you know what, we want sports betting. Now, he wanted it federally regulated only, and so he doesn't support what's going on now state by state, but that was kind of a shockwave through these industries that, wait a minute, uh, somebody came out and said, yeah, I support sports betting. So he's been very innovative that way, and then in the last year or two, Silver has also talked about he's fascinated by European soccer and how they have in-season tournaments. And uh, he thinks that kind of uh, gooses up the product a little bit, makes it a little sexier instead of just this dry 82 game slog that the NBA currently has. And then there's playoffs. A lot of teams have no chance. And so he's been really eager to come up with something different. Um, there's even been talk about completely changing or eliminating the draft lottery that he has taken seriously. There hasn't done anything. So the Pelicans, for instance, would draft. Um, they would find out that in 2023, they're going to draft seventh. In 2024, they're going to draft 19th. In 2025, they're going to draft first. In 2026, they're going to draft 30th. Right? They're going to know 10 years out where they're going to draft. So they can form their team that way based on the fact that, well, we want to bottom. You know, we know we're going to be first. So if we can have a pretty good team, before that year, we're going to get the first player the next year. So we want to build up. And then if you know you're going to drop to 30th and your team is kind of older, you're like, well, you know, we're pretty good, but we're going to get the worst pick no matter what we do. So is it, what's the point? So all of those things together kind of made me think about how um, Silver is willing to innovate in remarkable ways, more so than any other commissioner. So that's why I was writing that. I'm convinced that no matter what it takes, he will come up with something to finish this season off. Um, now, as circumstances have dictated, I'm not convinced the regular season will even resume. Um, although, so I think it's more likely, especially, you know, the Pelicans are in, a, in an interesting spot. Um, I would not be surprised if they had seven, eight, nine, ten play in, right? So two of those teams, say best of five or best of three, whatever it is. So, um, you know, I don't think all... 30 teams being involved is, is sensible. There's some teams that are are actively trying to lose and there's not much point in, in bringing them on. But there's about 
10 teams in each conference that uh, seem to be interested in, in succeeding. And so I, I would expect that he would expand the number of teams in the playoffs. Um, you know, the one of the benefits of uh, old age is that uh, you remember things. 1982 NFL regular season, nobody remembers this under, you know, 50. But um, there was two games played. Then there was a strike for two months. So then they resumed with the original schedule, and they only played nine games that season. Um, the Redskins and Dolphins uh, made the Super Bowl and the Redskins won. Now, the Redskins wound up playing – they had four other teams in their division then, NFC East, right? So they would have played eight out of 16 games in their division. Because of the quirk of the schedule, they played seven of their nine games in the division, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, and the Jets only played five out of nine games in their conference, much less division. Um, and they were six and three. They had a good team. Um, but by the time the Super Bowl came, nobody cared. It was it was a regular Super Bowl. It was great. Everybody enjoyed it. And we moved on. So I think the NBA you know, can learn from that. And, and the fans will adapt to this, too. Uh, 20 teams in the playoffs would be weird. But then, you know, you move on. And then even if it's going to be a shortened amount of playoff games or neutral sites or no fans, whatever it is, fans are going to embrace it. And by the time you get to the NBA finals, people are going to be into it no matter what it is. So I'm definitely convinced. And I think the NHL, by the way, which I haven't written much about, um, they will try to do some sort of tournament style, too. Um, there, there's a case for more teams because, you know, St. Louis Blues were the worst team a year ago at midseason and they won the Stanley Cup. You don't have that in the NBA. So um, I think the NHL will do some sort of a tournament also. You can do these things in a matter of a couple of weeks if you have to cut it that short. But the revenue enhancement is so great for the players and for the owners that I, I, I'm not sold on this idea of, oh, you know, the seasons are canceled. They're not going to cancel unless things get even worse than they are now. You know, I think that you're correct in thinking that, you know, the season, the NBA season will come back in some form, but the idea that it's going to come back and they're just going to be like, okay, play out the rest of your schedule and we'll have more playoffs. It's probably not the, the way that we can expect it. Yeah, there's, there's no point. There's no point in continuing the regular season, really. I mean, we, right. we kind of know what we have. This year is even more extreme. Again, going back, you go back 35 years, you look at the NBA standings, you can't believe it. I mean, you know, 48 teams is like the second the number two team in a conference. 30 wins might have you last in your division. You know, 35 wins might have you last. It was so uh, competitive. But now the way teams are approaching their you know, the, with their philosophy, um, there's a lot of terrible teams and a lot of great teams. And so we, we already know that. We don't need to have terrible teams play out their seasons. Um, right. you know, maybe they can do some around. sort of a right. consolation prize. Or, there's even talk of having, like, playing for the lottery. You know, the bottom eight teams play and the winner gets the number one pick. Except that doesn't make sense because those players don't really care. Uh, right. a, a third of them aren't even going to be on the team. They're, they're sort of, like, supporting the next year. And, in fact, they might already be looking toward a different team ahead of time and they're going to play against them in a playoff and if right. they win they're going to hurt the, the chance of the team they're looking to go to the next point so i don't think that's going to happen but other than that i think there's a lot of innovative ideas that are on the table the las vegas one has been mentioned um for the nba i wouldn't be shocked by that eventually or or somewhere else where things are safer the bahamas has been mentioned um but i wouldn't give up on an nba or nhl season just yet yeah it's it's funny from a pelican's perspective because you know, it's probably very selfish in thinking, but this is one of the few teams in the NBA that really, really does want that last 18 games. And A, yeah. because they have a chance at the playoffs, they just need time. And B, because they want to get as much as they can out of Zion Williamson's rookie season so that when they come in next year, when they'll have a lot of positive vibes around the team, he's got, you know, as much experience as possible. But there are two things that I think that people tend to forget, which you brought up one of them. Uh, very eloquently, which is like this revenue is important for both the NBA and their in, its individual teams. Mm -hmm. uh, part of the, the the best argument you can make for playing out some of these regular season games is just 
these teams are hurting. They need that revenue because otherwise, because you're not even just talking about you're not making that revenue from the game. They're going to have to shell out money for tickets sold to these games. So they're actually the cancellation of these games will will actually hurt the teams further because they'll end up sending money out. And I don't, they may have insurance policies against this, but one way or another, insurance always comes due. Uh, so, so that, that's a factor. And, you know, the NBA, they cut 20% off the salary for some of their top executives. You know, that's not a sign of the league, just that's a sign of the league preparing for the worst. They're hurting as well. And then the other thing that you have to factor in, this is if we, if we end up seeing three months off from NBA players who, you know, this isn't a pickup basketball game that you're going out with your friends. This is, you know, optimal level NBA basketball where you're fine tuned professional athletes and coming back after three months off you're going to see injuries. And if you come back and you say, okay, we're going to extend the playoffs further and say, we're going to have an extra round, whether you cut that extra round down to five games, like it was previously or whatever, you know, what happens when a guy like LeBron comes out and, you know, tears his Achilles because he's not in shape, you know, something like that. And then, then you look back at it and you lose an entire season, like Kevin Durant this year, where this injury came coming back early led to him missing next season. You know, so that's something that you have to consider. And do you add in like a 10 day training camp or something like that? Um, but I think that's important to factor it into. There's one other thing I want to add, because nobody ever mentions this um, for whatever reason. Um, it's been forgotten. But in early March, believe it or not, this month, this month, the Atlanta Hawks, um, one of their top executives at a uh, MIT uh, sports business seminar in Boston, he proposed that the NBA start their season. This had nothing to do with coronavirus. This is just philosophically in the next 10 years. We should start the NBA season in mid-December. Let's get away from football. We can't compete with them. Can't, college football, we can't compete with them. We start in mid-December, and then we go into July and August for the playoffs. We own that. Baseball's only in mid-season. No other sport is going on. And NBA officials – uh, sort of acknowledged to a couple of reporters that, yeah, we're, you know, we're not, that's not crazy. We're something we would consider. And so that was already, you know, thought of long before this happened. So when people think, oh, well, you know, they got to start the season in October. So there's not gonna be enough time to have an extended playoff or whatever else that that's on the table. That's something the NBA would consider already without this. So they could play into September. Um, you know, uh, playoffs if need be, uh, if they're going to start the next season in mid-December. So that's another thing that uh, that uh, Adam Silver has in his quiver that he can he can go longer than people think. Uh, you know, don't get, people shouldn't get stuck on. Well, I know the NBA starts in late October uh, and training camp starts whenever, so they're running out of time. They can move the season back two months. I mean, I'm old enough to remember the season used to start you know, several weeks earlier than it does now. It's not, it's not set in stone. So uh, again, that, that there's so many options for the NBA um, in particular that are on the table that that's why I'm just, I would be shocked even, even as bad as things are, I would be shocked if there wasn't some sort of finish to this NBA season. Right. And, and our columnist, Scott Kushner has brought that up several times, which is like, you probably can't find a better market to show that example of the NBA team getting, just outshone by the NFL team just because of the connection with the city. And until that season ends, you know, which goes into January, maybe even February, it's tough to match up with that. Um, uh, let's get, let's go to a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk more about the Pelicans and uh, Zion and a few other uh, good stories. Here on Birdwatch with guest John Brennan. 
John, we've uh, we talked about this a little bit before the show. In New Orleans, we have uh, we have a big guy, this literal big guy and figurative big guy, Zion Williamson. He made a splash. He's only played what 19 games in his NBA career, but uh, he's impacted a lot more than just the Pelicans' games. Uh, how has he impacted the sports betting, sports gambling kind of universe? Yeah, he's amazing. I mean, uh, everybody in New Orleans knows what a big deal he is. But um, if you wonder, well, is he is he so big on the national landscape? I mean, he was the most wagered on player for rookie of the year at the at favorite odds, no less, um, before the season. And um, there's millions of dollars at stake on whether he is rookie of the year. And it looked like he was a heavy favorite, and then he got hurt. So then he, you know, he had no chance. And then until he started his season, he definitely had no chance. And then he started the season. And he's been incredible. And if the season had played out for a full season, you know, you see this in baseball a little bit where the guy plays a half season and he's phenomenal. And there's another guy who's really good, you know, like John Morant for a whole season. And how do you how do you choose how how many games does somebody have to play and how dominant do they have to be to win? I think Zion Williamson had a chance possibly to be rookie of the year if the season played out. I mean, he, he would have almost had to top what he's already done, which is hard to imagine, but he might have done it. Who knows? He's getting experience. Um, so there's millions of dollars to stake on whether he wins rookie of the year. And also think about it, whether the season is finished. I mean, if if there is no finish of the season, although I, I doubt that, there, that that happens, but if it doesn't finish, is a rookie of the year chosen? Um, do you lose your bet because there was no finish to a season? Um, and the other one is um, – the, the New Orleans Pelicans to make the playoffs was an interesting bet for a lot of people because, uh, you know, on the one hand, they're not the greatest team. On the other hand, they got the greatest player in the draft, so they could make the playoffs. And so there was a lot of money waged on that, too. And now, as we sort of talked about in the previous segment, um, well, what does making the playoffs mean? If they are the 10th seed and they play in a postseason, I think they made the playoffs. But obviously, you know, the betters and both the better and the uh, – the, the bookmaker are thinking you have to be a top eight team to make the playoffs. That's how you win the bet. But the, I think the way the, the bets are, are labeled, it just says, uh, do they make the playoffs? So if there's some sort of a tournament that might even decide on how does the league describe it? Do they say everything is, a, is the playoffs or do they say there's a tournament before the playoffs? I mean, so that's going to be tricky for, you know, all kinds of bookmakers around the country to figure out uh, what does it mean if, if the Pelicans, as I expect, are going to play in some sort of an extended playoff uh, uh, in the coming months. Yeah. And, and I think that's another good example of just this is also an industry. You know, these bookmakers need to make money. And the simplest scenario would be, yeah, there's obviously the, the betting kind of got skewed by the fact that the games didn't happen. If they cut off the games and then John Morant's the technical rookie of the year, you know, is that no action? Well, no action means that they're just sending out all this money on something that they probably would have made a lot of money on because I bet the, you know, the public money would have been on, on Zion, you know, so there's decisions to be made there. um, And it's not as simple as, you know, a push. (laughs) Well, exactly. You know, we we had a a podcast guest on uh, months ago and um, he actually studied the the, uh, XFL pretty well. And he said he thought the Houston Roughnecks at 10 to 1 were a really promising pick. So as one of our podcast picks, my co-host Eric picked the Roughnecks at 10 to 1. Well, they start out 5 and 0, oh, and all of a sudden they're like 2 to 1. And now that bet is voided because the league was canceled. I mean, that was that had, the, in fact, the, the championship game was going to be held in Houston. They would have had a home game for their Super Bowl, and they were going to be the number one seed anyway. So, and they only had to win one game to get there. So, I mean, that 10 to 1 shot was, was money, and it's voided. 
Um, he also had the Knicks under, you know, 22 wins or whatever it was before the season or 25 wins. And they would have had to have an incredible hot streak to finish to uh, to get to the 25 or 26, or whatever it was. And now that's voided, too. Um, you know, I had the Yankees under 100 and a half wins, 101 and a half wins before um, even Luis Severino had Tommy John surgery or Aaron Judge was found to be out or Giancarlo Stanton got uh, got knocked out again. And so that, that's a great bet. But that's voided, too. So, um, you know, for every better who thinks I, I got screwed by I had the roughnecks and I should have they, they believe me, they have another bet that they were doomed with <laughs> that the team was never going to get to that total. But the season's, o- season's over or shortened. And so that bet's voided. So, you know, it kind of all comes out of the wash. Yeah, it's gonna. It's it's just there's gonna be so many things that you have to kind of just watch and see how how both you know industries and any industry reacts to it, uh, and sports betting is no no different. What have you have you seen any interesting prop bets for Zion pop up since he uh, came up? And you know, especially that game, they just re-aired that game against the Spurs, his debut where he hit four threes, and everyone was thinking, "Wow, this guy's a three-point shooter now." And I think he hit four the, in, the, in his next eighteen games. But uh, I'm curious if you if you spotted anything that was kind of interesting that Pelicans fans might uh, get a kick out of. Yeah, I can tell you that um, what they call in-game betting or live betting is the majority of the wagering in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. So, you know, this idea, especially, you know, somebody's over 50, they think, well, I'll bet on the Pelicans minus three and a half. They're at home against a bad team or whatever. And you wait a couple hours and you see if you won, you know, for people under 40. That's ridiculous. I'm not waiting two and a half hours for anything. Um, that's just not, not how the culture is now. So they bet frequently during the game. So not just Zion, but anybody. The, there are always three-pointer options to be had. Like if he's three for three on three-pointers and at halftime, there's going to be wagers on how many – what's the over-under on him getting – uh, three-pointers in the second half and someone's going to say well he he's going to shoot so many because he's hot right so over two and a half in the second half i'm going to win and somebody else says you know he, he, he'll miss a couple and then he's going to get away from that he doesn't want to you know uh, have his game just be on the perimeter um and so there's wagering on both sides and that just happens with uh with every sport um the zion the big numbers for him have been the rookie of the year odds they have fluctuated wildly as i said from favorite before he gets hurt to almost no shot and then a little bit once he gets started but a long shot for sure for 10 games 15 games and then by the time the season stops his odds were improving all the more because there were people who are thinking you know my scenario i mentioned before that if he can play at the re- end of the regular season and continue his upward trajectory which is an amazing trajectory um he might have a shot at winning this so if i can get you know three to one or whatever odds um i like my chances so um he's inspired a lot of wagering in the 15 or, or so states that um have legal betting and majority of them have legal in-game betting too so you're seeing that i mean you guys will get it eventually don't worry <laughs> I think that's one of the things that people forget about, especially in this market, because sports betting isn't as you know intrusive when you can't actually do it above board in that they'll talk about rookie of the year and they'll say, oh, can Zion possibly win rookie of the year? And like back when Ben Simmons and Donovan Mitchell were going at it, they're like, well, Ben Simmons shouldn't be eligible. He's not a rookie and that sort of thing. A lot of times it's, you know, that conversation here, it's like, well, who cares? It's just a, it's just a trophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for a lot of people, you know, they have, futures bets on these things and especially now where there's not much else to bet on there's going to be a ton of futures bets money put getting put down and that's when you talk about well should zion be eligible to win if he only plays 19 games or 25 games that's that kind of unspoken 
you know, subplot of like, yeah, because I could win $500 if he wins this or X, X amount of dollars. Uh, and that's kind of the funny thing to me where you'll hear Al Michaels is the worst about being coy and being like, well, someone scores, a, you know, a go to hell touchdown at the end of a game. Like, oh, well, some people are upset. And uh, it's I've always found that funny. Right. Yeah. Brett Musburger is the most famous example of that. Of course, he started VS, VSIN Network in Las Vegas now. And he used to say, you know, the guys in Vegas are not going to be happy about this one or whatever. This is 35 years ago. And he's retired now. But um, so he started up his own uh, sports betting uh, network, basically. And, um, you know, with, with prognostications and all kinds of stuff. And he's sort of the uh, the head of that. And Mike Tirico, I think, also was in on that. Al Michaels had mentioned. I mean, yeah, it would always be, uh, you know, a blowout game on Monday Night Football. And it's, you know, 37 a seven and then there's a cheap score and you know they say well some people are interested in that result and i think the majority of uh, sports fans are like i don't know what he's talking about you know who cares if they scored an extra touchdown well a lot of people do but i i i mentioned the end game too you know saints fans in your market and lsu fans for that matter although college is a little more complicated but certainly saints fans in a couple of years you're going to be able to not only bet on the saints winning the game with a point spread legally i mean people do it illegally but you can do it legally soon and then also um how many yards will your quarterback get throw for in the first half and if he has a big half how many is he gonna get in the second half they're getting it down granular um, not quite play by play but certainly drive by drive there's a kickoff and the it goes in the end zone and the saints are on their own 25 and there's a two-minute break what are the odds they're going to score a touchdown on this this drive uh, you're going to have time to bet on that if you want and, and again for most people as you mentioned it's like a small wager it's kind of fun adds to the incentive there is a compulsive gambler you can imagine a compulsive gambler is is got is facing this you know it's just the sort of the worst case scenario and, and states are going to have to be very careful about having enough funding to help that one or two percent or whatever the population that really is not going to be able to handle this. Uh, if there's any consolation, some of the findings are that compulsive gamblers already are in trouble because if that's something they feel a compulsion to do, they're not waiting for it to be legal. There's no compulsive gambler that says, you know, boy, I, I, I would love to bet like 50 times a game on a Saints game, but, you know, I can't because it's not legal, so I, I won't do it. And But, I, but I'm going to go crazy when it's legal. That's not what happens. Unfortunately, they're going to illegal markets already, offshore, you know, sites. Uh, a lot of people, some of your listeners are betting illegally, you know, all the time on offshore sites, and they don't even know it's illegal. Because um, it seems like it's on the internet. It's right here. It came up in a Google search. Um, they take my money. They pay me out. What's the big deal? But that stuff's not regulated. And God forbid they go out of business. You can't be calling your state attorney general and saying, I need my money back. But it, it's coming, like I said, in Louisiana, it's coming to almost every state. People have asked me, are all 50 states going to have sports betting? Well, Hawaii and Utah don't have gambling. You know, Utah has a Mormon culture. They don't have legal gambling. I'm not going to say nobody in Utah made a bet, but they don't have legal gambling part of the Mormon culture, basically. And Hawaii, my joke is, you know, people say, if I ever win the lottery, I'm going to move to Hawaii. Well, they already live in Hawaii. So where do they go? So there's no, there's no point in playing the lottery if you already live in Hawaii. So they don't have one. Um, and there's only like four states that don't. So um, most states in the next five to 10 years will have sports betting. You'll have several, it's about 15 or 16 now. You mentioned Louisiana, there's like four or five more, like North Carolina's in your boat where it's sort of approved, but not not happening yet, but it's it's coming. And just like the lotteries did, just like casinos did, um, it's gonna become part of the uh, sporting culture. And the challenge is gonna be actually, 
how to not oversaturate. You know, Italy and Spain and some other European countries, they're like banning gambling advertising because it was so overrun. Every commercial seemed to be about gambling. Everything in the stadium seemed to be a banner on gambling. And uh, people just revolted against it because they have maybe have young kids or they don't believe in gambling or, you know, they, they have a, uh, a loved one who has been, you know, uh, uh, lost their savings based on it. They, they're offended by it. And so... Um, so those those countries have sort of overreacted the other way to get it down. So, you know, Americans have more time to study the European model and say, OK, this is going to be part of the culture. Let's not go crazy over it. Let's regulate it. Let's take care of anybody who has a compulsion. But let's not drown the set, the broadcast with it, too. There's plenty of sports fans who are diehard Saints fans or Pelicans fans. They have no interest in betting on the game and you don't want to turn them off. They just want to watch the game. You know, they can take a commercial or two like anything else. It's not a big deal. Um, or even maybe a, a patch on the uniform. Okay. But if it gets too heavy, you're going to turn off a large segment of the, of the sport, sports fan population. Because, you know, a lot of gamblers think everybody bets on sports, and they're completely wrong. There's plenty of sports fans who never miss a game and would never risk a nickel on it. Their, their devotion to the team is all the sort of capital they want to put into uh, the risk of that game. They don't want to have the team lose the game, and they lose some money. That's, that's just too much for them to put up with. You can always spot the sports gambler at the bar because they're the one watching the Bills get blown out by the Patriots by 30 and yelling about every play. I don't know why I picked the Bills to beat up on. Maybe it's because you're up in that area. But it's uh, it's interesting because I've seen a lot of, I guess I shouldn't say a lot. You know, I've, I've happened upon, you know, some European broadcasts of tennis matches occasionally. And you'll see they actually have the live odds, the live betting odds going with the, with the broadcast, which I found to be crazy. But if that's just how the culture is, then that is how it is. Like, well, there's there's so much betting on European tennis players that Americans have had had no idea about because they Americans until two years ago had not only did they not bet illegally on on tennis, they didn't even know that there was an option. Yeah, and uh, obviously when you talk about sports betting, especially with the NBA, you're going to hear about Tim Donahue. The former NBA ref who was, you know, there was a huge breakout Sports Illustrated piece on you know, that whole scandal. We don't have to get too deep into it. But, you know, you brought up something interesting, which is, you know, kind of the same. It, it's it's weird because you talk about sports betting and it's really got a lot of similarities to a, you know, alcoholism and how you advertise for that for, for that product. And, you know, how you have to have support systems set up to give people the avenues they need to if it is a problem. And. But it, it also kind of goes in the realm of, you know, the war on drugs where, you know, if if the only way to do this is with the CD subculture, where people are still going to do it one way or another, mm-hmm. you just create situations where people can make significant amounts of money by, you know, trying to turn a ref to, to throwing a game. Whereas if it's just something that if it's a much more, you know, uh, regulated and supported industry, you're going to you should be able to have less of that or at the very least you're going to have funding to be able to suss that out. So I think there's one way or another you have, you have these situations where, you know, it's, it's not just A to B it's, it's A plus C plus D plus E equals F. Yeah. Uh, I, just, I want to mention, uh, you mentioned Tim Donahue. So you know, back in the 1990s, and this is almost universally not true now, but back in the 1990s, if you covered the NBA, you sat courtside either at center court. So like uh, if you're watching the game, you see the, um, the statistician, the broadcasters, um, the official score, they're right in the middle there, you know, three feet from the court, right? We would sit alongside them or we would sit underneath the basket, say we're the sidebar guy or a columnist, right? So that would literally be um, about 
you're sitting in a, in a low, low slung chair. You're sitting about three feet from the baseline. So when the player is shooting a free throw, if he has any four spin on it, it'll go through the hoop, through the hoop and bounce. And on one bounce, you'll catch it and you'll hand it to the referee who's right there. And so um, to mention Donahue, I always thought he was kind of a lousy referee. And again, I, I sometimes I'm sitting there and he is, say, calling a technical foul on a player. He's six feet away from me. I can hear he and the player talking. Uh, and and I know why the technical foul was called. It was great for color for a story, right? Because you're, you know, uh, what's what's the big deal? He didn't seem angry. Why did he get a, a, a technical foul? Well, we heard it, so we know what it is. And the player would say, you know, I didn't say that. And we're like, yeah, you did. I was, you know where I sit? I'm five feet away. I know, you can't deny it, you know. There was a famous uh, Kerry Kittle's Michael Jordan story from Kittle's rookie year where Michael Jordan was just trash talking him, you know. Oh, my God. It was it was, it was was brutal. Because Kittle scored about 20 points in the first quarter. And then we were all like, that was a bad idea. He scored about two points the rest of the game. Jordan just, you know, dissected him. But then he tried to claim that Jordan wasn't talking to him at all. We're like, we're right there. So with Donahue, um, he would make some lousy calls. And I thought, you know, well, he's just a bad referee. And when the scandal first came out, I thought, oh, my God, like, I was right there. I'm so stupid. I mean, he was fixing a game, in, in effect, in my mind. And, and I was right there. I, I, I should have known it. I should have real. I was so naive. Well, it turned out that he didn't start fixing games until around 2003 or four, I think. So um, as, as after I was covering the league. So whatever he was doing um, <laughs> when I was watching the games was before uh, certainly the widespread uh, you know scandal that came about. So I felt a little better about myself then. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably easier to fix games if you've just got a track record of just being a bad referee and making some some bonehead calls. And then when you have to make a bonehead call, it's like not that out of the ordinary. Because uh, in the NBA, it's it's not like the NFL where score. I think it's that's the scary part for NBA officials when they talk about sports betting because it's like you're talking about one point one way or the other. You know, you could lose a game by twenty, and it just takes one free throw at the end of the game and it's a 19 points. It's a 19 point difference instead of a, you know, uh, for a 19 and a half point spread, you know, whereas in football, it's the scoring system is much harder to, to mess with because, you know, the team's down by 10 and it's an eight and a half point spread. You can't force them to kick that field goal. They're going to want to score that touchdown, but there's no extra, there's no free throws. So you can't like call a penalty that gives them a, a chance at a field goal. So I, it's yeah. that's the, the NBA is a little a little harder to, to digest this, but yeah. yeah. I'll give you an ironic history lesson on that uh, and why the NBA was so uh, crucial to the sports betting landscape of the U.S. is um, and I spoke to Bill Bradley about this about six or eight years ago when he was a great uh, before he became U.S. Senator in New Jersey. He was a, a, a great Knicks player on the two champion, the only two championship teams the Knicks had ever had um, in late 60s, early 70s. And the reason that this sports betting prohibition came about is that when Bradley was a player, um, there was a game at Madison Square Garden. And when the game ended, the Knicks had won by a narrow margin and he was walking off the court and a couple of fans were grumbling about, you know, the, the game and they were how unhappy they were. And he just stopped and said to them, well, you know, I know you guys are Knicks fans. We won the game. What's the problem? And they said, yeah, you won, but you didn't cover the spread. And Bill Bradley is a Princeton guy, very genteel gentleman, um, you know, who was personally offended that he felt like he was being used as like a poker chip or, uh, you know, or, or, or a die in, in, a, in a craps game. And he thought that was awful. And he, he stuck that stuck in his mind for 20 years. And then in 1992, he sponsored the bill 
the Professional Amateur Sports Protection Act of 1992 called PESPA. That's the bill that outlawed sports betting in every state except Nevada, basically, and, and very limited um, states uh, could do a little bit else. And so he's the reason that we had this situation in the first place. And ironically, of, of all states that undid the prohibition uh, by winning a six-year court battle in 2018, it was, again, New Jersey that um, the, the voters in 2011 passed a referendum that the state could have casinos and racetracks uh, offer sports betting, contrary to Bill Bradley's federal law, which um, you know took them years to get it overturned. And then the Supreme Court eventually decided, you know what, that law was never constitutional in the first place. So never mind. And every state now can have sports betting. So um, for people who are glad to have sports betting extensively around the U.S., you can thank New Jersey. And for people who are angry about it, you can blame New Jersey. Blaming New Jersey is usually a, that's, sure. that's a pretty safe, safe bet. We can take it. <laughs> you can take it. All right, John. Well, I appreciate you being on here. I think that uh, we had some really great stuff. You can follow John Brennan at, at Bergen Brennan on Twitter. Follow myself, Jeff Nowak, at, at Jeff underscore Nowak. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Thanks again, John. All right. Hang in there, New Orleans. We, we know what you're going through up here in, in North Jersey and New York City. 